You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 658 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is now Friday morning officially on the East Coast as I start recording this post-midnight, but it's uh, late, late into the evening on Thursday, where the Hawks are in Phoenix. They lost to the Suns by a final score of 128-112 to on this fine evening, and uh, a plenty to discuss about the game itself. Honestly, it was a game that, while lopsided at the end, has lots of storylines to cover, and we will definitely do that on the show today. I do want to plug real quickly the podcast from yesterday. I had Chris Kirchner of The Athletic on the podcast, a a good discussion with Chris, um, who is, of course, on the road with the team right now. So go back and listen to that. Also subscribe to the podcast. It'd be huge if you did that. We've had a full week of shows, and I, I do have one more planned, actually, between now and tip off on Saturday in Los Angeles. Um, not a guarantee because it's something that can always fall through, but um, for now, I do have that plan, and hopefully that comes through. But regardless, a full week of podcasts, tell a friend, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera, and thank you for listening today, as always. Um, before we get to the actual game itself, because, again, there's lots to talk about with the game, um, there was a lot of pregame intrigue because of the status of Kevin Herter. Um, Lloyd Pierce addressed the media on Thursday in Phoenix before the official update came out. You know, as of Wednesday, the Hawks announced that Herter was going to be flying back to Atlanta or actually was already flying back to Atlanta at that point in time to have a more MRI evaluation from doctors. He had a negative x-ray, etc. Pierce uh, sort of leaked to the media on Thursday that it was going to be, quote, better than the worst-case scenario, end quote. That proved to be true. To be sure, the Hawks announced that Kevin Herter has been diagnosed with a left rotator cuff strain with an associated shoulder capsule strain and that he will enter a period of rehab and treatment and will be re-examined in, in two weeks. So that's the full release from the Hawks in this spot. Obviously, um, you know, I'm not a medical expert by, expert by any means, but the timetable is a good one. And, you know, this is not the worst case scenario. This, this could have been a season-long injury. This could have been a three-, four-month injury. And now, you know, it is crucial to remember, again, I'll say this probably a lot over the next couple of weeks, but it is crucial to remember that re-examination does not mean return. So when the Hawks say re-examined in two weeks, that does not mean that he'll be back in two weeks. The first game after two weeks is um, on November 29th. I would bet against that happening. Is it, is it, is it impossible? No. But... Generally, when teams want to re-examine guys, they're still going to need a couple more days or weeks even to get ready after they are examined, um, you know, just kind of get back to, to full strength, et cetera, et cetera. Herter will be active, obviously, during this time, try to do as much as he can. But, uh, yeah, still something to point out there. The Hawks do uh, play a couple of road games there at the, end of no- at the end of November, and they come back home for games on December, tw- uh, December 2nd against the Warriors and then December 4th against the Nets, and then a full three-day break after that before a road game against Charlotte on December 8th. So, you know, that's three and a half weeks from now. That seems more like a realistic time able to me, but we'll see. We're definitely guessing, but, you know, the big picture stuff here is that um, it's very, very good news, and all things considered. This, this could have been bad, and by the time he was flying back to Atlanta with the MRI sort of unclear after a full day, it was pretty uh, obvious to me that it was not going to be a one-game absence for Kevin Herter or a two-game absence. But, uh, you know... Reexamination two weeks is probably good, and the fact that there's no serious damage here is certainly a positive thing. Pierce did say pregame that um, not having surgery is, quote, a mental peace of mind, end quote, 
for Kevin Herter after he spoke to him on Thursday. That's good to hear as well, obviously, for a young guy. This is third, you know, maybe not major injury, but certainly a third significant injury of his career so far. He had the uh, the hand surgery before um, he actually arrived for his rookie season, but it was before the draft, but and the, Hawks, and the Hawks knew about it. But a hand surgery to catch him out of the summer league and uh, basically the whole summer before his rookie season. And then earlier this year, um, he had the knee thing that kept him out of training camp and sort of set him on the eight ball and now a different thing with the shoulder. So the good thing about that is that none of those are chronic. They're all different injuries, but it's certainly people were asking me about Herter being injury prone. I'm not willing to go that far by any means, but it is three, you know, real injuries within a year and a half of each other. So that's just something to keep in mind with a guy who isn't the biggest, you know, he has definitely put on some mass and put on some strength in the uh, year that he's been a professional basketball player, but someone who is a little bit wiry and we'll see how he can handle the uh, rigors of the NBA. But, you know, I'm not worried about Herter necessarily on that front. And hopefully this good news relatively will uh, come through in the near future. And uh, obviously the Hawks want to get him back as soon as possible, but there's still not a lot of incentive to push him along. You know, the Hawks without Kevin Herter, as we saw in this game on Thursday, um, without Herter and John Collins at the same time, it's fairly rough offensively, you know, for my money, the Hawks have four guys on this roster who are, you know, legitimately above average offensive players right now today, and two of them are now unavailable for a while. You have Collins, who's going to be out for another, you know, several weeks until the end of, end of December or so, and then uh, now Herder for at least two, probably three, four weeks, maybe even beyond that if something goes wrong, you know. You're down to two guys with Trey Young and Jabari Parker that are legitimately above average offensive players, and that puts you in a bad spot. You know, Trey is awesome. Jabari's been awesome. But uh, those two guys can only do so much. And, um, yeah, kind of just put your roster in a shorthanded place in some ways. But, obviously, the good the good news is Herter will, will be back sooner than it could have been, and we will obviously closely monitor the situation as it, get, as it gets going here, and we'll be following up with the team, et cetera, to see about his uh, rehab in the future. Before we get to the game itself, and, again, there's plenty to discuss about the game, I do want to talk to you about the good folks at MyBookie. Past, present, and future MyBookie players during Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a, a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations, you've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer, MyBookie welcomes all to play, so quit waiting around and sign up today. Did you find yourself waiting, wanting a sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process, and the best part is if you join during Thanksgiving week, you'll have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA. If you do that, MyBookie will match your first deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of the risk-free bet that we were already talking about. So let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose with MyBookie. So make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in the action with MyBookie using promo code LOCKEDONNBA. One more time, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, and we're back talking about the game. And uh, again, plenty, plenty of stuff to get you to here. Um, setting the table a little bit, if you watch this game, you would know that um, there was some officiating weirdness in this contest. Lloyd Pierce's opening statement after the game to the media that I watched on Fox Sports Southeast um, was, and I'm quoting here, not a fun game, end quote. And then later he said there's nothing we can do about it when asked about the offensive foul calls. There were plenty of those in this game. He was clearly upset about the uh, officiating throughout and with good reason in my opinion. That's my opinion now, but Pierce was certainly a little bit bothered by that. 
mentioned a lack of uh, freedom of movement, which is an emphasis by the NBA that, 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 that they definitely want. He said, uh, "No comment." End quote. When asked later directly about some of the uh, some of the foul stuff, but he also said it wasn't worth it. And and, and quote, nothing nothing's going to change. End quote. He did get a little bit, a little bit more specific at times, saying, and I'm quoting now, "They started stepping in front of our rollers, and apparently that's an offensive foul." End quote. There were probably you know. I counted 10 offensive fouls. There were probably seven or eight of those that were sort of these weird off-ball, you know, flopping, being rewarded kind of fouls. And that was, honestly, I hate this, but it became the story of the game. You know, it wasn't the only story of the game. There was some encore stuff to talk about, but the way the Suns played was bizarre. Um, And when combined with the Hawks' lack of bodies, they had some injury stuff, of course, and then they had an ejection in this game, which were also kind of weird. Those were both reviewed, but um, two flagrants on Cam Reddish that were um, interesting in that one to have him be kind of disqualified. So by by the end of this game, you had no Bembry, you had no Reddish, and we'll talk about those later, but um, pretty interesting, and Pierce was pretty visibly um, bothered by the officiating, which we'll get to a little bit more later. But yeah, when we said that at the top here, that became a story of the night. In fact, Denver Bembry, after the game, just tweeted, and I'm quoting, soft in all capital letters, <laughs> end quote. That was his entire uh, tweet. So yeah, uh, some bothered people on the Hawks' side, and I think with good reason in this game. But um, setting the table a little bit here. There were some injuries to deal with before the game even started. Uh, Parsons was upgraded from down, from doubtful to questionable to probable and then to available, but uh, it seemed like he was never going to play in this game. Uh, he never took his warm-up off. And at the end of this contest, it was Charlie Brown on the court. They were not going to play Parsons in this game, I don't think. So we'll see what his status actually is. Alan Crabb did debut for the first time in a Hawks uniform in this game and had some moments, and we'll talk about that later. Um, Charlie Brown was recalled and played a little bit in this contest. No Vince Carter, no, no Evan Turner still for Atlanta to go with Collins and Herter on the bench. So already a short uh, a short bench to some degree, and it got shorter as the game, as the game went along. The Hawks were about eight-point underdogs in this contest. It actually opened six or seven and uh, went up to eight. Of course, the Hawks did not cover that spread, losing by, losing by 16 points. But, you know, on the road, the Hawks are underdog for a reason against Phoenix. The Phoenix is not great by any means. They're a solid team, at least more solid than they were last year. They've played well so far this season. But, you know, this is a this is a winnable game for Atlanta. Everyone circled this one as the one that was potentially winnable on this trip. Of course, of course they stole the one in Denver uh, uh, already. But, uh... Yeah, that was the set was sort of the the preamble to this game. Um, in the early going, it was pretty interesting um, to see what happened, and honestly, that sort of was the, t- the tone for the entire game. The Suns were flying double teams to Trey Young the entire game. Trey still had some nice moments. Obviously, finished finish with twenty one and thirteen. He did play well, um, at least at times in this contest. But it was a lot of uh, pressure on other guys to make plays. And some of that actually worked out for Atlanta, some of them it didn't. Um, there was a 15-4 run by the Hawks in the early going uh, that was aided by Damian Jones, who was very, very good in this game, particularly in the first half. He made a great read on a steal um, and made a nice play defensively. The offense looked coherent. Um, they had a plan for how to address this kind of defensive attention that Trey Young was getting. It's not new that he's getting double teamed and you know trapped and all that stuff. The Hawks executed pretty well, I thought, offensively for most of the game, honestly. Um Alan Crabb debuted at the five-minute mark of the first half, made a pull-up jumper on his first offensive, offensive trip and didn't do too much else in this game. He was uh, pretty rough, honestly, just definitely rusty, but did make his first shot, which is worth pointing out. Uh, an 11-4 run by Phoenix to cut the lead back to uh, two. Pierce called timeout from that point in time. Bruno Fernando took a step-back three um, after the timeout, timeout. That was not exactly great. He actually played some most of his time at the four in this game because the Hawks are just so short-handed. That's out of position for him. We'll talk about him more later on the pod, but... Uh, 15-4 run overall by Phoenix to take the lead. Um, a headliner for me in the first quarter was the back-to-back plays in which Jabari Parker just absolutely went through Mikhail Bridges. 
I like Mikael Bridges, but he is not physically strong enough to deal with Jabari Parker. That's a good reminder that Jabari can sort of mismatch you to death. He's certainly take, capable of taking advantage of those mismatches and um, picking on guys who are smaller than him. He put he put him in the basket back-to-back times in a pretty memorable fashion. Um, a lot of weirdness in the first quarter. Uh, the Hawks made nine turnovers in the first period, and we're winning. That is not something that's usually going to happen. Um, they happened to shoot the ball well in the first quarter and also got to the line 10 times. There were five assists from Trey Young, 10 points for Jabari Parker, but nine turnovers. And a lot of the weird charging calls, offensive foul calls, happened in the first quarter. That were, there were This was a theme throughout the game, obviously, as uh, Pierce talked about in the post game. But uh, it started early, and it happened all the way through. Uh, in the second quarter, uh, it was Charlie Brown getting a real stint. He played at the end of the first quarter, and then actually the same that stayed in to open the second. They actually sat Trey Young for a long time. Um, a couple different times in this game, which is noteworthy. Even though he played a ton of minutes, it was just two stints really that he sat and still played 36 minutes despite not finishing the game on the court. But um, good to see Charlie Brown getting on the court. He wasn't fantastic, but he was playing. He was recalled before this game, and they used him because they probably just needed to use him. Um, Alex Lynn blew through Aaron Baines for a dunk and then um, gave, him a, gave him a little stare down. I thought Alex Lynn played well in this game. He was uh, playing with energy. Good to see him playing that well, particularly in Phoenix where he was actually roundly booed. And even the people that cover the Suns that I follow – we're trying to figure out why. Uh, there's not really any reason. I don't think that the Suns fans are upset. Obviously, Lem was playing in Phoenix before this, but you know he didn't have like an incident or anything like that. He just wasn't particularly awesome. But you know he was overdrafted. It's not his fault necessarily. But it was kind of just weird to hear a fan base still booing him kind of the entire game. But Lem played well and kind of put it back in their face a little bit in this game. Um, probably the headline, uh, the highlight I should say that made the most rounds in this contest was uh, Trey Young nutmegging Ricky Rubio on a uh, trip after he made a three the previous trip. Um, that was a, uh, I guess, a go-to move now for Trey Young is, is the nutmeg. It's got, it's actually working very well for him. As a fact, he got a three-point play out of that, and he had a couple nice moments there. There was a 15-4 run, though, by Phoenix to go back up by six. There was a lot of charging calls. Again, as I keep writing this down in my notes, there were just so many charging calls in this game, mostly against the Hawks, some of, some bizarre officiating kind of throughout. Reddish got his first flagrant foul call out of two, both on offense, both for elbows and kind of not huge, not huge flagrant elbows. And people were bothered by this. You know, they were both reviewed and the league called them in the in the replay center as flagrant one fouls. I am not an expert on this, so I, I'm going to guess that they were interpreted correctly, just kind of weirdly fluky and were not super flagrant. So, you know, it's kind of unlucky. Um, I'm not really sure what Cam's supposed to do on those two plays, but yeah, that was uh, that was that was the first of those two was in the, in the second quarter. There was a big block by Bembry on Rubio that was nice to see, and we'll come back to Bembry Rubio later uh, in the podcast. But a bad miss layup by uh, Hunter in transi- transition, which I wanted to point out. He did have a nice pass, though, DeAndre Hunter did, to Alex Lynn a few minutes later. The Hawks have had an 8-0 run uh, to go up by two points. That's kind of their best moment of the day the rest of the way was the Hawks that was the 8-0 run. But Phoenix closed on a uh, flurry in the first half with an 11-3 run. The Hawks did not have a field goal for about the last two and a half minutes of the second quarter. And they got down in a hole at that point in time. Um, Damian Jones entered this game with career highs of 13 points and seven rebounds. And at the half, he had 12 points and seven rebounds. <laughs> so Damian was, uh, he had the half of his life, um, in the first half of this game, which is, which was cool to see, uh, Trey Young had 17 points, including 13 in the second quarter. And the Hawks had good, um, offensive work on the glass, but defensively it was a, it was a rough, rough, rough time all the night long. And Pierce even acknowledged that. In between the officiating conversation after the game, Pierce was talking about the fact that, his, that the defense was not very good, and I would definitely agree with him on that one. Uh, in the third quarter, uh, there was a uh, 
A bad stretch from Cam Reddish in the early going. Uh, Devin Booker waltzed to the rim, passed him for a layup on the opening trip, and then there was another charge at the end of the floor by Damian Jones. That was rough to see. There was a nice, uh, brilliant, honestly, two-dribble dunk by Alex Lynn going to his left. That was kind of a whoa, mo- a whoa moment for me. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure that he had that in him, but it was a nice play by Alex Lynn. Um, Reddish then missed an open three that would have cut the, the lead to three. On the other end, they fouled Kelly Oubre for a three-shot foul. He made all three, and suddenly the Hawks are down nine again. That was a big swing in the game. And uh, Bembry came in earlier than normal in the third quarter for Reddish. I think probably because Reddish was not playing very well in this contest. Um, the deficit got all the, way back, all the way up to 15 in the third quarter. It was basically over from that point uh, forward, honestly. But, you know, at that point, there was a big corner three by Alex Lynn to get, it, to get it back to 12 and kind of put the momentum back in Atlanta's favor. And then there was the weird play for the ejection on DeAndre Bembry. So Bembry gets called for what appeared to be a taunting technical foul after a block shot on Rubio, and then he was ejected in the same sequence for presumably barking at the ref. I'm not really sure what he said. Chris Kirshner was uh, courtside and referenced the fact that he seemed to be, uh, you know, originally saying something, at least some taunting stuff. I'm not really sure what he said to the official, but the second one was almost certainly for officiating, arguing. So, Bebry was not pleased. As, as I said before, he tweeted soft after the game and uh, definitely was fired up in that spot. You can't get ejected there. It's a bad time to do that, but I do understand the officiating being frustrating in this game for everyone. So, I don't really blame him all that much. It was just the timing was unfortunate because the Hawks had cut it to 12 and they had some momentum at the time. And by the time that all happened, Phoenix was leading by 16 points within a few seconds after that. And uh, that was a break that the Hawks just uh, needed to have uh, go in their favor. The Hawks did get back to nine really briefly with a 9-2 to run behind Parker and Young at the end of the third. But after four missed free throws in a row by Phoenix, uh, Uber hit a, a buzzer beating three to go by 14 at the end of the third, and that was the only time, that was the last time the Hawks were, were within 10 points the rest of the way. Um, Young stayed on the bench to open the fourth quarter. They definitely tried to wait as long as they could to bring him back in. By the time he came back, though, they were down by 17. There was a really bad step back three by Cam Reddish with about 17 on the shot clock that I wrote down. That was a brutal, that was kind of brutal. Most of the fourth quarter was kind of off the rails, honestly, just kind of uh, weird basketball. There was a jab step contested three by Alex Lynn that he took, which I couldn't believe he shot. <laughs> there was a brief moment of optimism for Atlanta. They got it back to as low as 12, sorry, as low as 10, with about five and a half minutes to go after five points in a row from DeAndre Hunter. That was good to see some fight out of the Hawks, but from there, um, Sarich scored on the other end to go by 12, and then the second of Reddish's flagrant one fouls with another weird off-elbow call on him. Um, that disqualified him, and then the Suns, within two plays, were back up by 16 points. It's basically over at that point in time, and then uh, Pierce pulled Young and Parker with about 3.20 to go. That was kind of the white flag that would tell you that the game was over at that point in time. So, you know, the whole second half was not kind to Atlanta. Defensively, they allowed 30-plus points in all of the first three quarters and 36 and 37, so a combined 73 in the middle the middle two quarters of this game, and defensively, that's not going to work. You know, the full game numbers defensively were not as bad as you might think. A 116.5 defensive rating, that is bad. It's not, like, criminally bad, but it's not going to win you very many games on the road, to be sure particularly when some of that included the fourth quarter, which garbage time. It was about 125 before that, and that's not going to be winning you many games. Offensively, it wasn't good. Um, the charging fouls were really unfortunate and frustrating because the shot-making was actually you know, not great for the Hawks, but not disastrous either. They shot 44% from the floor. That's, that's a winnable number. True shooting was 54%. That's like near league average because they got the line 30 times and were pretty effective at the line. Just so many fouls leading to 22 turnovers, and uh, that will get you beat as well. Um, so, you know, big picture-wise, the Hawks didn't play that poorly. You know, the the offense was not 
lights out. The defense was pretty bad in some stretches, but, you know, the officiating kind of clouded things, and, you know, the Phoenix just kind of did what they do in this game. Kelly Oubre was fantastic by his standards, and Booker had 27 points. You know, if you told me coming into this game that Oubre was going to have 30, you would probably would have been in some trouble, and he was plus 14 in his minutes. But other than that, there's nothing fluky on Phoenix's side, just the fact that they got a lot of calls in this game. Uh, the Hawks didn't get many calls, and uh, Phoenix has enough talent to over to uh, overcome that and sort of use that to their advantage and win the game comfortably. So, you know, not a terrible performance by the Hawks by any means. A frustrating, weird game in a lot of ways, but alas... There we go on the big picture stuff there. I do want to transition to the uh, individual players, as I always do on the podcast. And we're going to be a little bit longer on this one because of uh, the harder stuff and the officiating stuff, etc. But um, to the individual players, quickly here. Um, on the bench, Charlie Brown, six minutes. Uh, it was, you know, he came back. He was recalled before this game. I'm not sure if he flew in today or yesterday, but... Um, you know, did what he does. He shot one, one, three and made it. That was kind of, that's kind of his only NBA skill right now is a shooting. So that's worth pointing out. Uh, Parsons did not play worth, worth saying that out loud, even though he was active and in, in uniform for this game. Bembry pre-ejection played 19 minutes, did not score, had six rebounds and four assists, two, two, two blocks and a steal. So a very Bembry line didn't do much scoring, but did a lot of other things pretty well and played decent defense in this game. Alan Kravitz, as I said before, looked very rusty, had two points, four rebounds, was minus 17 in 15 minutes. He's not ready to play just yet. I mean, the, the jump shot's very helpful, and they're going to need his shooting, I think, while Herter is out. But you can tell he's a guy who hasn't played a basketball game in, you know, six and a half, seven and a half months. Yeah, he hasn't played since early April. So seven and a half months, that's a long time to be without a basketball game, and uh, he'll have to get his legs under him, I'm sure, in the coming days. Ty Wallace um, had some nice moments, four assists, three rebounds, but uh, 0-5 from the floor. Was plus five, but that's probably not necessarily indicative of the way that he played. He just, offensively, it's kind of a struggle with Ty Wallace at times. But defensively and playmaking-wise, he, he does have enough to be an NBA player, just not a whole lot to uh, you know, be a threat as a shooter, and the Hawks uh, need, that, need that shooting ability for sure. Bruno Fernando. 15 minutes uh, on the floor for Bruno in this game. Four points, a rebound, and a block shot. I thought he was pretty bad, honestly. Some of that is the fact that he's being asked to play the four, which he's not capable of doing right now. You know, even at the five, he's so young, he's going to have some struggle moments just being in the right place at the right time, etc. But at the four, it's just even more taxing for him. He played briefly at the five in the four, in the second half when uh, Damian Jones was in foul trouble. He, he was a little bit better in that stretch, but, you know, Bruno's just kind of overwhelmed at that point in time. And honestly... He's probably the guy who needs the most seasoning at this moment. You know, it's either him or Reddish, of course, but, you know, Bruno's just going to have to play through it. At the four, though, he's overmatched, and hopefully the Hawks can get Vince Carter back in the future. It will really help, um, especially that's sort of a little thing. He's definitely a supporting piece at 42 years old, but not having Vince has actually been pretty big the last couple of games for Atlanta. To the starting lineup, uh, Damian Jones, as I said before, played awesome. Got, got in foul trouble, and that kind of held him back a little bit, but finished the game with a career-high 14 points and a career-high 8 rebounds with 7 eight from the floor. He was legitimately awesome in the first in the first quarter of this game. Like he was flying around defensively. He made a few plays around the rim on the glass, just kind of making an impact with his energy and finishing. And that was good to see him flash that. The rest of the game was a little bit more tempered, but still a productive night for him, aside from the fouls and the five turnovers. And a lot of those were just offensive fouls that were weird calls, as I've said a number of times on this podcast so far tonight. Um, Reddish struggled in a big way. Uh, nine points, five rebounds, two of seven from the floor, one of six from three. Did get, did get to the line four times, made all, made all four. Um, defensively had some nice moments, also got beat a little bit. 
by Reddish and Oubre, which is not, there's no crime in that. It's going to happen on the wing. Offensively, it was really a struggle again. A uh, couple couple bad shots, couple couple open ones that he just missed. You know, you can live with the open ones that he misses right now. He's going to have to just keep shooting. The bad shots, you know, I can't really justify him taking contested shots right now because it's already so bad when he's open that he can't be taking contested threes. But he did attack the rim a few times, made, made a couple nice reads in that way, a couple nice passes as well. I'm trying to be kind because he is he is struggling big time offensively. But defensively, there were some nice moments, and he didn't kill them necessarily in this game. Um the forwards were good, I thought. Um, DeAndre Hunter, 14 points, a career-high, 6 steals. 5 of 15 from the floor is not what you want to see necessarily. That's not really great efficiency. But 2 of 6 from 3, he attacked the rim. He was aggressive. You know, Hunter wasn't fantastic offensively, but he was aggressive, which is what I want to see from him. And then defensively did a good job, as he is wont to do. Parker was very effective, 24 points, 7 rebounds. Also had 3 steals, so he was pretty effective defensively. At least, when, at least when a playmaking standpoint, has some struggles defensively, just positioning wise. And Sarich beat him, beat him a few times when they were just kind of overpassing around him. But Parker's offense has been very, very good. And uh, count this as another positive game for Jabari overall. And then finally, Trey Young, uh, 21 points, 13 assists, two steals, and five turnovers for him. Actually, it was kind of funny. He was minus 17. That that kind of, it feels misleading because the the offense felt like it had no chance when he was off the floor in this game. Um, you know, minus 17 just feels misleading in a lot of ways. Um, his shooting was not great. Seven seven of 18, one six from three. He was probably due for one of those. But you know, Trey was still in command. His passing was off the charts as it almost always is. And you know, he made a ton of just wild passes. I tweeted during the game that you know he has two or three passes a night that will just make you start laughing because he's so good at passing the basketball, and that happened in this game. Just the shooting wasn't necessarily there for him. He was definitely being double teamed. The floater game was st- was was there though was was effective. Just not making his jumpers in this game, and it's going to happen. You know, we've seen him adjust already to the lack of spacing around him. It'll be even harder for the next couple of weeks without Kevin Herter because Herter, you know, for all all the fact that he's not really like 100% there yet as far as a uh, number three option on, on an NBA team, Herter is still very talented and he has to be guarded in a way that most of these guys do not have to be guarded. So not having him out there, not having Collins out there, it's going to hurt. But Trey's been so good already that he, there's reason to believe that he can figure it out and will figure it out. But you're going to be heavily reliant on him uh, even more so than normal. And that's already a high bar to clear when talking about how important he is to the offense. So, uh, a lot of things to say about this game. You know, the officiating was a problem. It was pretty ridiculous, and this is just me editorializing. I'm not want to talk about officiating a whole lot on this podcast, but in this game, it was pretty markedly bad officially officiating the entire game. The charges, the Lloyd Pierce stuff, was he was accurate on that one, just the freedom of movement stuff, the off-ball charges, the sliding underneath guys there's an element of dangerousness in some of that stuff too you know i'm not fully on the ban the charge bandwagon but i'm sort of leaning in that direction especially after you watch a game like this you know it's not really good defense in the nba to be just sliding underneath guys there's some dangerous plays involved in that and phoenix was just really flopping around the entire game it was frustrating to watch a lot of whistles you know there were 68 free throws attempted in this contest there were i'm trying to count this now there were 55 fouls called just a lot of a lot of fouls and more than 10 offensive fouls on the same team plus the two flagrants and and the and the uh official reviews just kind of a glacial pace about a two and a half hour basketball game and it was just not a lot of fun to watch aside from the moments that Trey Young had and Jabari and you know Alex Land played very well in this game by the way I think I skipped him earlier Alex Land played awesome in this game which I should at least mention briefly Land had 21 and 10 and was just very very good I think I did say that a little bit earlier but I think I skipped him in the, in the individual portion Len was awesome uh, he was one of the, I think, three or four guys who played legitimately well for Atlanta in this contest. But, yeah, um, 
you know, big picture, it was a loss that the Hawks were quote unquote supposed to lose. They certainly could have won this game if things were different because Phoenix was not overwhelming them with talent. It's just the fact that they made more shots and, um, you know, got some, got some kind of officiating, we should say in their home building. So, um, that's probably enough for tonight because I've said quite a bit on this podcast, but, uh, again, I have a plan to have a podcast for you Friday night. Um, if, if the guest works out in that, in that fashion, hopefully that's going to come together. At the very least, we will be having a new show very late into the night on Saturday night. The Hawks don't play until 10.30 Eastern against the Clippers on Thursday. Sorry, on, on Saturday in Los Angeles. I will have a podcast because I am a masochist. I'm going to stay up until probably 2.30, 3 a.m. to get that podcast to you guys. So uh, hopefully that's appreciated. And then we'll have another one after game on Sunday when the Hawks are, are still in Los Angeles against the Lakers. So please stay tuned. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Please subscribe about the podcast. Um, again, just you know, positive feedback, five-star reviews, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that you can do to help share the, the love on the pod, I really appreciate all of that. And uh, without further ado, that'll be it on the podcast. So please stay tuned, and we'll see you guys later on in the weekend.